bottom line. Welcome, everybody. Uh, fascinating conversation today with a friend, a dear friend, a brother from another mother, a fellow South African, um, Jacques Van Buren, as they would say it in the U.S. Welcome, Jacques. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know this is quite out of your element because you are. You're a hands-on guy, and we're going to dig into your history. But we're going to talk today about food crisis, us as human species being dependent on putting fuel in our body. We can't live without it. Um, where we are now, I think it's on every tip of everybody's tongue. The president of the United States yesterday, I think had a bit of a faux pas maybe, but said, look, do you remember when we stood in lines for food? Uh, we don't have to remember. It's there now we have uh, baby formula shortage and we have food shortage not just here globally i remember a day when you um sent me this video with it was either leonardo DiCaprio. it, it was, was DiCaprio. Leonardo. it was DiCaprio talking about global climate shift and climate change and so welcome to the show we're going to introduce you well um but I want you to dive in just a little bit of your past and your history. Growing up, we grew up similar lifestyles, we're similar in age, different towns. We went to the same university at one point, studied different things. But your background, just walk us through your background into the world of, of engineering, construction, up until there a little bit. Just tell us yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I did my studies at the University of Pretoria, mainly in construction. And my first decade, decade and a half was spent actually in townships. Uh, where I saw what hunger does to people. You know, if you're in a third world country, it's different to what you see on a daily basis in the U.S. That's yeah. real hunger. Yeah. Um, and, and you live it. You know, we built, uh, I built a lot, thousands of houses for underprivileged people. Uh, but I had to spend like 18 hours a day in those townships. And you get to know the people, you know. F food is emotional. Uh, there is an emotional connotation to food. Uh, um the lack of creates yeah. problems. Yeah. It lives emotional levels, which in turn uh, leads to to anger. That's what what's and happening crime. all across the world and crime. Yeah, uh, there's a definite social aspect to food. Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, being from South Africa, there's so, so so much similarities. You know, there's some differences. I grew up with a single mom, but we grew up in the same time period, apartheid in the middle of a regime change with governments and then knowing what happens when you swing the pendulum, make promises that you can't deliver on in South Africa. And there's, I, you know, people say they know hunger. I go and I just literally did an hour ago on another show. I asked uh, a guy, have you been to Africa? And he said, no. And I said, you really ought to go to have the conversations that you're having, you know, because they're having these big conversations about, you know, hungry people and go to Africa. Go look what it looks like when you walk into Alexandria or Davidton or Soweto, some of the townships where you built houses. So you built houses for underprivileged people, thousands of them. You developed communities in construction and engineering. Your brother Eugene, similar. Actually, all you brothers, all the Van Buren boys yeah, are. Yeah, there's three of us that's in the construction field. And gave us gave us the unique ability to take uh, engineering, MEP work, which we have a lot of knowledge of, and to merge that with a horticultural world. It's, it's a different avenue of how we got to the system that I've developed and that brought me to the U.S. Um, I, the, the drive inside was to eliminate hunger. To give, me, give me a timeline here because I, I know, but for the audience, developing houses, not a farmer at the time, not you know we're all South Africa. We all we go hunt, we go into the bush, but you went you were building structures, right? Talk me through, and, and I'll give my version of it. But talk me through the episode where kind of God just spoke to your heart, you know, as to how you need to do something with the skills that He gave you to actually create a solution for world hunger. Co correct. What triggered me was looking at DVDs that explained what the Earth used to look like. Um, and that triggered me a lot because if you merge that with a, a, a geological world, you'll, you'll find out that things look different. You know, there was a lot more carbon dioxide on the earth, a lot more oxygen. Um, plants used to grow a lot better. Uh, the, the, there was an increased pressure on the earth as well, like an incubator. That's what the earth used to look like. Um, 
it like emit, a hyperbaric chamber. Like a almost. hyperbaric yeah. chamber. The earth was designed to be like that. And if you take all the arid areas, you'll see in today's world, there's a lot of uh, oil and gases in those same areas. Now, that's that combined uh, plant matter that was pushed down. There was an event on the earth that covered it, and that became oil over, over time. So there was a lot of plant matter on the earth. It's not like that anymore. So what changed? There was an event that, that took place that changed the earth to where we are now. Um, to me, it immediately triggered something because the DNA and genetics in plants stayed the same. Um, generation after generation, if we don't genetically modify it ourselves, it will be the same plant. And you talk about that often because I've walked in, and for the people, we're going to talk about this technology that you invented, a download. We're going to talk about that moment and how God speaks to you because he does and he continues yeah. to. You continue to invent. And we're going to talk about the history of this amazing amazing technology and company called Eden Green, which we'll pull up later. But I just want to give people the history of it because our paths intersected and then I got involved with Eden Green. But it was a moment where I think you you just recognized that you had these skills and the ability, the talent to invent truly or reverse engineer what you already knew. So Earth was a hyperbaric chamber. We know of trees you know 200 meters tall 200 Fruits meters were huge fruit the size of basketballs and then so talk us a little bit through that because the company is also called eden green it's back to the beginning back How to the beginning How that's where the eden comes from yeah so knowing all of that and knowing that the genetic state the same something in me the inventor in me said hang on if i can get the environment back to like it used to be and the genetic state the same i can probably grow plants like it used to be garden of eden yeah um, and started off with that triggered a study in me to say that if if I know a lot about plants and I understand the engineering work, then I can merge the two worlds. And we can get to a point, and I call it the 16 factors. I know most people talk about nine, but there's 16 factors. And if you can get all those 16, 16 factors from the perspective of a plant to work in concert and get the ultimate out of all of those 16 factors, then you're going to grow the way you used to grow. Now, Granted, it's very difficult to get that hyperbaric chamber, more pressure system involved. You can do it, but it's going to be too costly. So most of that we we actually incorporated into the Eden Green system. Okay. So so what we're saying in a nutshell here is plants grew better. People lived longer. 800 years, 900 years we're right. talking about, right? Plants had more nutrients in it probably lasted longer because of environmental conditions, pressure, Correct. oxygen, etc. Your mindset is if we can go back to that and the DNA state the same, we should produce the same results. I argue absolutely yes, because God wrote a law. He wrote a law into DNA and a law into the world. Then you started doing this. You st actually started, you it's, know, it's MacGyver, a, Mac MacGyver set up in your garage, basically, it's right? It's an Apple story, you know, in the garage starting, and I started off with rotating wheels, wheel, uh, lights in the center, started figuring out, keeping one of those factors constant, working on the rest. At the time, sorry, looking at hydroponics. and Correct, keeping yeah. 15 factors constant, changing one. Then you understand what's happening on the one factor. And, and did that over a period of time, thousands of hours of study in what a plant actually needs for it to grow optimal and this is now we're talking early 2000s around it's about 12 13 years ago yeah so maybe a little bit more ago, than so, that yeah took over the the lounge which my wife obviously didn't <laughs> you appreciate. Can imagine for many yeah. many years but um, became but it became this study of eliminating different factors and get, getting what you i've heard you say this so many times we've done so many presentations together You've said putting the 16 factors in concert, putting them in Correct. unison, right? Which is very hard to do. That meaning if you don't have one of the factors, you can do everything correct. But if you don't have carbon dioxide, the plants won't grow the, the way that it's supposed to. If you don't have sunlight, for instance, the plants won't grow at the level that you want them to grow. So and, everything has to be in concert. And again, every every plant has its own requirements. So you said something earlier, looking correct. at this, the problem through the eyes of the plant. What is the correct plant need? versus conventional agriculture i remember uh we'll leave the university's name out for now but some professors you know you would say i would hand hand the system over to the professors and they would kill every plant and they would just say listen this is not how plants grow and you go no that's not how we wrote 
the books are in agriculture, but actually if you go back to the beginning of time, it is how they grew. And it's control. You need to be able to control everything. The, the only way that you can get all those things to be in concert in nowadays is to be able to control it. And that's controlled environmental agriculture. Mm-hmm. Now, 13 years ago, it wasn't the same thing that it is today. You know, a lot of that is understood today. And so a lot of the literature that's written today is written more towards what we're doing at the moment. Well, in a, in a way, and I was there for it, you, you know, Eden Green was pivotal in changing a whole industry on just how we document when a plant was harvested and when the plant shelf life, sell by date, those kind of things, you know, with, with people like Walmart. Okay, so this all takes place. There was an event that's a pretty emotional story. And I know if your brother was here, the guy can't get through it without crying. Uh, he's a great guy. Eugene's a great guy. A man of few words. Well, a lot of what we've done, we've done together. It's only yeah. right in the beginning that I did a yeah. lot more. And Eugene, that we were but there was, a, there, was a, there was a particular day at an orphanage. Like so many South Africans do over Christmas, we go, my family take bounce houses. You guys did the same kind of a thing. Paint that picture for us just a little bit because I think that drives it home for people, the real heart behind the invention and why you invent. It's all timing. And all of this that we spoke about up to this point actually led to the timing of where where this came about. How did we get from knowing what we what we wanted to know about plants to making the commercial uh, system and then wanting to put that into the world to alleviate hunger. That's uh, basically what it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were, were giving our bounce house, we bought one, um, sent it to an orphanage, uh, they had a function. And right when we wanted to go pick this up after the event, um, there was a little boy, a little five-year-old boy that uh, had his pockets full with sweets, uh, candy, uh, yeah. filled with candy but he didn't eat any of it now that's kind of funny for a five-year-old child not to do that and as the teacher asked him now what's wrong why don't you eat your sweets his reply was it's not my day to eat and um, diving a little bit deeper the teacher found out that he's actually keeping those ca- the candy for his three-year-old sister now you can imagine what goes on in your mind as a five-year-old to know that I must keep my candy so that my sister can eat. Yeah. Because she didn't get food. Yeah. It wasn't her day. It wasn't her day to eat. Now, that's real hunger. And it drove Eugene and me to say, we can make a difference. Yeah. And and coming from Africa, it's a unique setting. Only God can can do it that way to know that the financial aspect, there's not so much finance available. So whatever we design, shouldn't be the most expensive system because you can't right. affect the whole globe if you have something that's uh, capex-wise very expensive. I, and I think that's really what makes Eden Green so special. I mean, there's so many different things, right? And so many different people. And I'll try through the show to honor, to, to try and honor everybody because many, many people were involved. But at the nucleus and the genesis of it, I always say you set the seed. The DNA was not corrupted, right? Well. The DNA of Eden Green started with wanting to eradicate hunger. Correct. It started with finding a solution to help a continent called Africa, but with very little resources for you in your hands. It's not like in America. And in America, when we invent stuff, it's like you've got a toy box with so many different tools and funding and funding mechanisms and Wall Street. It's non-existent in Africa. To take it on an endeavor to say, we're going to eradicate world hunger through technology from South Africa both hands are tied behind your back and you've got a blindfold on. I mean, you've got to create a system that you can stand up inexpensively or it just won't solve the problem. And I think that's one of Eden Green's key differentiators in the market because the technologies that think that they compete with Eden Green, if I look at them, as we'll prove later, their financial models don't make sense. That was part of the genesis as well. Um, I literally sat down and looked at what commercial hydroponic systems there are in the world. Because the only way that we can control the whole environment, like I said, the 16 factors, is to go to a controlled environmental agricultural hydroponic site. And and I analyzed all the commercial systems that exist. And I kept the good of the systems, knew that some of the systems were lacking in some regards. So I need to design something that we can answer those, uh, that that which is lacking. Um, especially the, the climate control around the leaves are. Yes. You know, a lot is done in hydroponics on the root zone, but not so much on the leaves are. Um, 
taking all that into account to design a system. And I literally did a back of matchbox calculation to say that it's all good and well, but if I can't get the quantity, the volume of food per square foot, yes, the output, you're not going to get to something that you can actually commercial that's commercially viable. Mm. And I think a lot of the existing our, our competitors struggle with that. You know, you can design the best system in the world, but if it's four or five times as expensive, yeah, and, and it, you're just it's the very economics. To do. The economics don't make sense, it has and, to make and, sense. and particularly the economics don't make sense in the areas that need food the most, which is also unfortunately underprivileged in rural areas, uh, food deserts, where people can't, you know, pay sixteen dollars for a salad like like we're doing in Dallas, or twenty dollars for a salad in Hawaii. It just, those economics will never make sense in Africa. And sit back and use what's free. Yeah, the sunlight is free. To buy those photon packets through a light and putting that on the plants to grow, uh, getting that into capturing carbon, because that's basically what we're doing, is an expensive exercise. Yeah. So if you utilize sunlight, which is what makes ours uh, unique, is we it's actually a greenhouse, controlled environmental greenhouse on a vertical plane. Yeah, Eden Green harnesses the natural sunlight, which I would argue, and and I just I'll I'll live and die by this. You cannot recreate the sun. You cannot recreate what God created. So you can create a light, and there's some really good lighting systems out there. But the sun is powerful. But it's free. To your point, so Eden Green harnesses the the, the sun. It's a vertical system, a true vertical system. And there's some systems that say they're vertical, but it's horizontal stacking. And and and. I'm not knocking those. I'm just saying this is a true vertical waterfall system with amazing things. And we won't ask you to to open up the Komodo on the real technicality of this. But i never forget, I was on a trip to South Africa fighting human trafficking. We were touring a film that we produced in fighting human trafficking. And we're in a church and the pastor, Mario Stein, said to me, hey, there's this, these two families, two, two brothers that I think you should meet. And you guys were sitting, in, you were there. Yeah, you were there for the sermon. I remember your sermon. You made people take their shoes off. Yeah, it was. A, it was called <laughs> "Barefoot Christianity." Was the title of the sermon, and the title was that God wants us to be in touch with Him as we are, as we are sensitive to walking barefoot outside on rocks and pebbles. You feel everything, and I want people to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that was yeah, made people take their shoes off. Very uncomfortable in the church, but they did. And um, I met you afterwards, and I'll never forget. Uh, the conversation kind of went like this. C- come visit, you know, and we went to a home of, of a mutual friend and I ate this salad without any dressing. And it was a salad spread. I and mean, it was amazing. There was strawberries and there was a bunch of stuff, peppers and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And your wife, Diana, came to me and said, you know, what do you think? And I said, this is the greatest salad I've ever eaten in my life. I've never tasted food, which I think is key to eating green. Correct. I've never tasted food. And I'm from Africa. We had mango trees in our backyard growing up. You know, Africa, we eat different. Our food, it's kind of way more fresh than in the U.S., but I'd never tasted anything like that in my life. And I'll never forget, you took me into the into the greenhouse, just outside of Centurion. You took me into the grass, and I walked into what I thought was the Garden of Eden. I walked into a place, and my mind was blown. I had no context for hydroponics at the time, and this is 2015, 15 probably. And I walked in and I said, the world needs this. This is unbelievable. I saw a strawberry. I, I pulled the strawberry from the, vi- from the, you know, from the vine and ate it. And it, the flavor it was insane. The juice just ran out. The of juice ran down my arm. It's like, yeah. what in the world is this? You know, I never tasted kale that actually tasted like anything that, that's worth tasting. Long story short, I said, Walmart needs to see this. There's these companies. We, and fast forward. And God forms an alliance between our family and your family, Dan Funk. And fast forward, it comes to the U.S. Many people help. We're so thankful. And it becomes this amazing company outside of Dallas, Texas, that now is just exploding. Uh, But it was not that easy in the beginning because I remember you coming over. You would fly over, visit. We'd meet with engineers. You'd go back home. Yeah, I went. I came to the U.S. five times. Yeah, before we actually because, settled in the because U.S. because you weren't an immigrant yet. You were coming on visitors' visas, and so we were doing this in distance. And I, I'll never forget. And again, we'll leave some of the names out of it, but big companies, some of the leaders in the nation in in air in, in air conditioning construction, looked at you and go, "Can't be done." 
that what you're saying doesn't make sense. This is not how air flows. This is not how you <laughs> water plants. And, and you stuck to your guns and said, no. So now go to me to reverse a little bit. Downloads. How do you receive creative yeah, a lot, a lot inspiration? Of it. Everything's created and everything is, is innovated. Now, if, if, if there's one thing I can say about the system that we're doing, it's never been done before. And we had a conversation yesterday where we actually looked at each other and said, uh, we laugh about it. You know, we're doing it, but it's never been done before. Yeah, truly. So, yeah, there's no yeah, literature that you can go to. Uh, one thing that I that I have to say, um, again, the way that it, that it happened was I went and looked at information from all angles, everything. If we're talking a root zone, we're talking calcium, we're talking uh, uh, water flow, we're talking pressures, we're talking all of that. Um, and there's expertise in all of the different fields, horticulture, uh, uh, nutrient-wise, all of those kind of things. But sitting back and taking all of those things and putting it into one, I think that was the secret at taking economics as part of it. You know? And then building a system. It's one thing to sew it together, but then building a physical system where, where nutrients need to flow and inject it and water needs to flow and pressure needs to be contained. Yeah, and taking simple scientific principles into yeah. account as well. You know, if, if you think about what we do, it's a gigantic generator. There's a lot of energy from the sun going into all of those what we call vines. Um, and that has to be controlled. And the temperature and the nutrients and things needs to be controlled. So there's a lot of science involved on that side as well. And, and in developing this and the development of this is over a four or five year period of time. Yeah. As you're talking, Jacques, I'm going to ask Rebecca. Rebecca, would you pull up some of those images? I want people to see. Put the picture on the left. Just click, yeah, that picture. If you can bring that to kind of the center. That big, Yeah. This is what we're talking about, folks. We're talking about, this is this is Eden Green. Vertical, true, ver Jacques, what are we seeing? Help us here. What are we looking at? I know, of course. See, uh, that's a vertical plane. And what we're looking at here is down one of what we call rows. Uh, the plants on the right-hand side is about 2,000 plants on a 100-foot plane. Um, we rotate those plants or grow them, depending on the species, anything between 21 to 28 days. Which is very no. fast. So it's increased it increased growth time, right? A higher yield. Yeah, with a very high bricks content, the taste that you spoke of. Better uh, taste? Uh, correct. And but now people will ask, you, ask simple questions like, well, are you juicing it? What are you throwing in there? Are you throwing any artificial stuff in there to make the plants grow faster? Is it is it genetically modified? All those kind of questions. Why does it grow faster and better? It's doing that in concert scenario that we're talking about. You True. know, we can control most of what's happening there on the leaf zone as well. What you cannot see there is each of those plant spot has a little orifice where we actually make controlled air on the outside and we blow it onto that plant and replace the air around that plant every three to five minutes, depending on what you grow. So the answer is um, no, it's not genetically modified. You're just growing plants the way it was grown in the Garden of Eden. And it's growing correct. better, faster, tastier. Um, Becca, you pull up this a bok choy. Bok choy is a, is a Chinese. Yeah, that. I mean, beautiful. And I'm telling you, when you look at the what we call the like the vascularity veins in the leaf, that that plant we're looking at, Jacques, it's grown without soil, correct? Yeah, we simply use uh, nutrients. Um, we have a plug that we use when we start off, but uh, once the seedling is grown and we actually just put a seedling in, it's, it's simply nutrients, water, and the environment that we control. So that's all you have. You have nutrients, water, sunlight, and you control the environment correct. by putting these things in concert. And Giving a plant what it needs, when it needs it, in the right quantity of what it needs. By variety, you can. Changing per variety, yeah. yeah. We can control the greenhouse. For instance, the the, the, the nutrient uh, temperature level within half a degree or a quarter, a quarter of a degree um, to grow to to. It's an incredible feat to go from because the the facility I walked into, if Rebecca, if you can pull up the first plant planted in the large Eden Green facility, um, that's Jacques planting the the very first plant now. What people don't know, and we were all the Dan producer here, you go, Yaku, we didn't know you were in agriculture. I didn't know I was going to be in agriculture and getting involved with Jacques and most incredible journey. I'm so proud to be on the board. So proud to have been part of bringing it to the U.S. Your family immigrated. Your daughters are brilliant. 
college scholarships. I mean, incredible family. Your brother's family immigrated. Um, but there was a greenhouse before this greenhouse in the U.S. But it's called Grandma's Greenhouse. <laughs> the start of, I think it was... Uh, Out in the little parking lot. It yeah, was like 10 a by 20 foot, 10 by 20 foot, like you know, that. little greenhouse. that, that <laughs> it, And actually, I'll never forget, the first, the first produce we took to Walmart to taste came from Grandma's Greenhouse. And I'll never forget, you said, wait until they see the real thing. Well, that's you planting. On the right there, there's Dan. Uh, if you can pull that picture up, that's Dan, producer here. Jock, what are we looking at? What's that plant? It's giant. It's a Swiss chard. That is a Swiss chard. It looks like it comes from Jurassic Park. Yeah, we actually grow Jurassic Park plants in South Africa just for the fun of it. I know. You had a kale in South Africa, a seven pound. I was there, a seven, a friend, you know, a, 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 a partner at the time covered his whole face, a seven pound kale. That's how you eradicate hunger. Definitely. And it was tasty, super tasty. That's a Swiss chard. Of course. That's one of the unique features of the system. It's extremely diverse. Yeah. You know, most other systems are designed for specific things like leafy vegetables or this. Uh, in this system, we've grown over 200 different varietals. Um, that can be flowers. Uh, we actually grew some tubers not too long ago, peppers, green mustards, uh, most of the herbs yeah. that you can think yeah. of. So uh, it's a very diverse system. Yeah, and, and I'll never... Man, at one point in time, we were growing a quite a variety of stuff because we had Walmart come through the facility. And, and I'll say this, we're going to get into some accolades here in a, in, in a, in a minute. But um, the Walmart Culinary Invention Center is one of the top you know, invention centers. And, and I'll never forget, we sat in their room. Do you remember our first meeting? It our would have been a 15-minute meeting. Our first meeting, they gave us 15 minutes to pitch in Bentonville. And every 30 minutes, they would add another leader and executive to the meeting they would bring in the head of produce and they bring in sean baldwin at the time then they'd bring in people and, and they would just keep bringing people in and saying what what in the world what's going on here which resulted honestly in something spectacular walmart flying to africa with us three three people in the room were there and walking in and just you know what an amazing story jacques for a boy who grew up in south africa you to see this come to fruition so that we can watch you plant the first plant in a commercial facility, which is about 60,000 square feet, size of a football field. And now there's another facility going up right next to it. And it's a it's a three iron shot away from the Walmart's distribution center, which I want to get into in a minute. What this can do for food distribution and, and relocating the production of food closer to the distribution centers. I'll never forget, we had this wall that we rode on and, and we all, the people at the time say, hey, look at the distribution matrix of Walmart distribution centers, Kroger, Costco, whoever, all US food. Because the product you grow normally comes from Salinas Valley in Yuma, Arizona or Correct. Mexico. We eliminate the food miles. Yeah. Uh, which makes it pretty unique. You know, what with what's currently going on and the fuel prices, uh, it all goes down to the consumer paying more. And, yes. uh, and most of that is actually contributed to fuel, the rising fuel costs uh, that we have at the moment. Um, we can put a greenhouse down where you need it and grow what you want, um, very close to the DC centers. And distribution then becomes from harvest date on your plate in a number of short number of days versus at times, I think people will be shocked if they know how old the food really is by the time they yeah, get it. Con yeah, contain the nutritional value yes, of absolutely. what you grow. Um, it, it's, you, you can eat a lot less having the same nutrient value that you got when it was actually harvested. Yeah, look, and even back then in 2015, 2016, we made the argument we used, you know, and I'll say this, anybody watching this, you're going to nod your head. If you buy a can of strawberries, uh, a box, a container of strawberries, 30% of it you throw away because because there's waste there's so much food waste because food travels a long way in this country now where fuel cost is so high you know every cent even matters more and so i think highlight for me some of the key attributes of eden green where it's solving problems for society i know saying eliminate hunger is a big but let's break down some of the other factors. You say it eliminates what's called food miles. People don't know. Yeah. You truck lettuce from California at times to New York. 
that doesn't make sense, but that is how it's been done. Yeah, I would say the, the most unique features of our um, system is that we can control the climate to a plant level. So we don't have to control the whole greenhouse, which is very expensive. That's the first part of it. And then also on the lighting, we spend a lot of time on designing lighting systems with algorithms, you know, putting the light where you need it. And you spoke about downloads. We didn't really get to the answer of that, yeah. but that was the latest one. And you know, we wanted to know how do you utilize light growing plants, but doing it effectively. Doing it on, our, on horizontal layering means you need a lot of lighting, and then obviously that will lead to a lot of OPEX cost as well. So how do you do that? And, and you say, I see things. I don't necessarily see things exactly like that. Some of it you figure out. But typically seeing a vision of a guy sitting with his study light on his desk, taking the light, shining it on the object. And it immediately triggered on my side. I said, hang on, that was 3 o'clock in the morning, but what did I see? I saw taking a light, moving it to where you need it, uh, which led to a movable light system. Now, who thinks of a movable light system in a, in a, in a vertical hydroponic grow? Yeah, um, which is not the norm. And then utilizing it exactly where you need it, when you need it. Again, it's the most efficient way of using a light. In those moments... Those moments, the first moment when, you know, you were, and, and I'm jumping back in history, but I saw systems, we, when I came to South Africa, I think it was like 32 prototypes, correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw strange things, man. You were growing plants upside down, you wanted to see what, what, what gravity had to do with the plant if it was growing upside down, you figure out that doesn't work. You were rotating them, you had these wheels, it was contraptions, your brother took a soldering iron stuck it in the side of a pipe yeah i guess most people start off with a made pvc a pipe, pipe and make a hole in it you make a hole in it right i mean it was like true just all these things true. right to now this is a very very sophisticated system but produced very inexpensively according to other technologies yeah well, i thought about that and analyzed it and, and what it basically means is most people think in three dimensions um First is a blank piece of paper, that's one dimension. You write, you draw a picture on it, that's a second dimension. If you turn it into a three-dimensional object, then it becomes three dimensions. But there's a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh dimension after that. Um, if you think about the functionality of what you're creating, that's another dimension that you, got that you have to think of. And then mm. you have to think of the manufacturing process and getting it done. And the application. Yeah, yeah, and the application thereof. And there's a lot more to it. And if you can sit back and you can think through all of those dimensions, just the internal side of that pipe. It's not just a hollow pipe um, that, that you think of. We actually had the outside design, knowing what sunlight does and the angles and all of those kind of things and the way we want to do it. And we did 18 different uh, 3D printed iterations on the inside to get it the way that it should work, you know, to all the advantages that, that it is today. Because everything's by design, everything. The color everything. spectrum, everything is by design. How light's reflected, the darkness on the inside, the reason it doesn't grow fungus and algae, all the different things that other conventional hydroponic systems run into. They run into, well, how do we clean this thing? Well, how do we keep disease out of it? What happens if there's an E. coli outbreak? And I'll never forget, there were literal signs in Walmarts up with an E. coli outbreak almost every November in this country, Listeria E. coli, almost every November. And we got a call and Eden Green's food was approved to stay on the shelf. It, it did not get pulled down. And so this is these are some of the key factors. But when back again, when you get what I call downloads, those moments when you sit and you, and I, I've stopped counting how many times you've called me and go, I just got another one, I just another idea. Because you keep designing who do you attribute that to? Is that just intelligence? Is that just your history? Or do you think there's a God factor involved there? There's definitely. It's inspiration actually comes from something outside of yourself. Yeah. Um, most things that are being designed or the innovation that happens is where does that actual initial idea come from? Mm -hmm. Now, depending on what you believe, you know, you would think you are God and you did it. Uh, but the reality is it's not that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need intelligence to take it from that initial idea and get it to the end result if you want that you want to achieve with it to conceptualize it yeah correct so there's a lot of effort involved there's a lot of reading a lot of educa education and absolutely um, look scripture says all good things come from god which even means the intelligence or the talent an athlete has the ability to throw a football 
but then comes comes the understanding of the brain the muscle the, the, the you know all the different things to apply yourself exercise application trial and error trial and error and then you end up with something really special you, you kind of build the whole thing in your mind mm-hmm. and then you start with prototypes getting it done uh, very similar to what elon musk said you know you you build it first you build the yeah. whole thing in your mind and then you get to it yeah look i don't if you think... want to know if it's you or not when you get stuck yeah and you don't have the answer and suddenly the answer appears three o'clock in the morning it's not you yeah exactly or or when the agricultural community looks at you and says this is not how it's done correct and then you prove a whole hundreds of years of community wrong saying no this is in fact actually why we get results it's different that isn't us and, and look elon south african to South Africans at the table. I'm not saying necessarily, you know, South Africans are special, but I'm just saying it is something about innovation is born out of need. Out of need. Exactly. That's what happens. The desperation. If, if you look at the history of Africa and you look at the yeah. history of Israel for that for the same reason. Yes. yes. If there's a bigger need, more emphasis will go to the need and therefore especially if there's financial uh, benefits to it. Yeah. Uh, that will drive the innovation. Absolutely. That's why innovation is so important in any country, not necessarily the U.S. Or uh, it, it drives an economy, if you think about it. All well, we new have innovations yeah. drive economies. Yeah. We have to come come up with new solutions and learn from the old and apply new things, new techniques. Um, for me, this is just me speaking for me. If you say, Yaku, what's more important, flying a rocket into lower orbit, right, or creating a system that actually puts food in people's bellies? I go creating a system that puts food. Here's the difference. It depends on where you want to spend your time. I would prefer to spend my time on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is food and shelter right at the bottom. And my whole life was actually that. I built a lot of houses for for a lot of people, uh, and now it's food. You know, those are the two needs that most people need. And I think now more than ever, you know, there's amazing conversations going on in our country um, about being self-sustainable, about, you know, people being more more conscientious of where's food come from i think there's a huge need to re-educate children in the classroom there was a quick little study done the other day in california and they had a classroom and they asked the kids where chicken comes from and predominantly the kids said from the store their answer was from the store now that's not wrong they do go buy chicken at the store but that's not where chickens come from what i would like for them to see when they eat a chicken is an actual animal running around that you need to care for, nurture, grow, take care of so that you can eat one day. I don't want kids to think chicken package from the store or Tyson, you know, but they don't. People need to connect with their food. Absolutely. There's a there's an emotional connection to food as well. Our CEO, Eddie Bedrina, did a, uh, uh, something similar to what we're doing here about a week ago, and his emphasis was exactly on that. And that makes sense. If we can get people back to that, you'll eat more healthy as well. Yeah, the emotional connection with food. And, and people go to food when they are emotional. This is why we call emotional eating, eating or binge eating. People eat, they'll, when they're emotional, they eat. Or they eat for emotion. And so I, I agree. What, what, where are you, um, what's your mind on, maybe I asked Rebecca to pull a couple other pictures up, show the people what I looked at with some, some crazy hair. Um, Look at the size of those plants. It's insane. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. And yes, Eddie and the team, the whole Eden Green team today, the management team, the board, and, and anybody in the process to help get it there, Dan and the just horticulturists, all of them. All the horticulturists, the workers, the harvesters, the planters. I I can't, we we I don't want to name names because I'll leave somebody out, but it's a team. Effort. It takes a team Most effort. Definitely. It's a team, but it but it's still evolving. You're inventing on this system still every day, whether it's a harvesting system or a Correct. better way to harvest, a faster a, way to harvest. AI, robotics, that's the next step that we're going in. We bought some robotics that's coming in in a week or two um, that will help with the mundane tasks in the greenhouse as a first step. Yeah. So there will always be innovation. And uh, it's always a race against time. You know, I'll never, we, <laughs> we drove a truck together. We had to go to Walmart to go Go, they had to go test the food, taste it and test it and give it a score on in the hodonic. parking lot of the food. <laughs> We're in a parking lot, I packing in, in a cold truck at 34 degrees. We're standing with tables in a cold truck, cutting leaves, 
making up sample size packages. I mean, it was insane. And we, we had an extension cord running out of the back of a truck into some guy's yard who allowed us to do it. <laughs> I mean, we had amazing times. Well, the results were there. And yeah. the results were there. Yeah. Scored the highest uh, of any salad without dressing on the hedonic scale at Walmart. And it just, it's there. The proof is in the pudding, so they say. When you eat this product, there's nothing like it. My children, I was going to throw a picture of our child up harvesting this, but I know my wife would not be happy because we keep our kids out of the limelight. But I'll never, I'll, still to this day, my children love eating green salad. Why? Because you can taste the difference. There's nutrients in there. The shelf life is crazy. We've had conversations about shelf life where, you know, 30 day shelf life. Well, you can't say that on a commercial package. So right now, Eden Green, Eddie Bedrina, CEO, the, the board where the company is being steered. You are the inventor and, and founder. I was so privileged to be in the story and be part of it, play my part. Um, this big thing's happening for Eden Green without talking shop out of, you know, out of order. But this company is growing. This company is taking off like a rocket ship. And I don't think the timing could be any better. Yeah, we're hitting the perfect storm. Yeah. You know, with the need of food that's there, the fact that we can eliminate those food miles. And it basically means that the big retailers, the big distributors, they can put a lot more money in their pockets mm -hmm. because of what we do. If, if you start uh, cultivating food, at open land farm prices, but doing it in a controlled environment with a much higher quality that, that you can put into the market, um, then you start hitting or breaking those barriers or the glass ceiling that was there in the past. And, and, or the and bottleneck, Jock, the, the bottleneck, because we're looking at, at farmland in Yuma and, and um, Salinas Valley, and it's declining. Farmers are selling farmland for real estate. And so... And, and of course, this is not possible without great financial partners. And Eden Green's Correct. had great financial Correct. partners, um, and and I'll keep I'll keep their them anonymous, but great financial partners that have stepped up. And there's a lot of challenges in in building something like this. I mean, and, it takes and time and it takes, takes a time. lot of capital, like yeah. anything. There's, yes. there's, there's no invention that we really did, but it's worth it. This is truly, I believe, something for humanity. I that think we might change the way that things are done. You know, yeah. it's an industry changer and it's a yes. mindset change of how we're going to grow these kind of things in future. Yeah, absolutely. It's setting an, it's setting a new norm. and But it's also showing that it's possible. It's possible to even consider redefining the distribution matrix of food in this country and then tackling things like food deserts and um, smart investment, you know. Rebecca, will you pull up for me some of the awards? I want Jock to talk us through this. Uh, the, the World Vertical Farming uh, Awards, Eating Green won some critical awards, uh, I think. Talk us through what's on yeah, the screen. Uh, best profit profitability is just the amount of yield we get per square foot. Um, pretty unique in our system. Uh, profitability obviously is linked to CapEx involvement. The Which fact is critical. that you look at that greenhouse, only what you need is there. And the only things moving around would be the actual nutrients in the air. The rest is all static, so you don't have any maintenance or anything like that um, in, in your system. Uh, best climate innovation would be that controlling the climate around every plant. Again, it's, it's the most efficient way of doing it because you don't have to heat up, cool down, carbon dioxide, a whole greenhouse. You just do the environment of the actual plant. Because a plant, if you think about it, the plant does not care what happens one meter away from it. It can be 150 degrees and and by the way, doing it in Texas, you get some crazy things happening. Uh, we no, we yeah, you got to talk about this one particular day. We grew um, those infrared photos. Basil, we grew basil at a hundred and it was hundred and thirteen degrees in the aisle, on the wall of the greenhouse. It was like hundred and thirty. It was one, great. One thirty-eight. One thirty-eight, and the plants did not die. It's controlling that climate, and we, we took some infrared photos to to show what it does. Um, I always say it doesn't matter what the problem you have, it's just the lack of knowledge. You know, once you know how to do it, you can do it. And that takes time. That's yeah. the time aspect to it. Those two awards I think particularly are special because if we if we if we go back to saying, okay, we have to bring solutions to eradicate hunger, but it has to make economic sense or it won't Correct. sustain. It won't. If you go build a spaceship 
and it's novel and it's amazing, but it's so expensive. You know, and to, to quote Elon again, the first Tesla did not cost, you know, what it does today. It was exorbitantly expensive. And then figure out a way now, how do we make this affordable to people so that we can actually continue? But food, particularly, um, we're now talking about the most hungry people are the most underprivileged, or food is just not available, which then drives price up. One of the awards is the most profitable system. That's huge. The other is, you know, the best controlled environment. Well, that's the whole game is controlling the environment. Here's what the environment does for you. The moment that you can control in that environment anyway, and that includes lighting now, um, you can actually physically put a greenhouse down next to any DC. Distribution, distribution, distribution center in the US. Yeah. Which eliminate those food miles, which unlocks a very high profit percentage. Well, it also takes care of carbon, you know, gas emissions from the trucks Correct. on the road. Quality of food. Uh, quality of food uh, and then nutrients in the body. Because these kind of plants, the second you cut them, they die. I mean, we don't pay for food; we pay for calories. So now, what sustains you? The quality of the food that sustains you. If it's if it's a higher value of calories that you put into your body, you need less of it. That's right. To sustain life. And it's it's smarter investment. It's food into, security, just yeah. seen a different way. And it's smart investment as 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 to how you eat and make sure that the dollar you spend on food is food that actually drives and fuels your body in a good way to go forward. Correct. Poor countries would spend a lot of money on carbohydrates. It will be mostly maize and all of those kind of things. Rice, potatoes. It's cheap. Yeah. it's cheap. It fills your belly and it gives you some energy for over a period of time. Mm -hmm. the, the, the whole idea is to get much higher quality at the same price. I'm going to take a quick break and then I'm going to come back. I want to close out the rest of the show today with you with us just talking a little bit about what's happening on earth with food and just what you think and and how people can react but before we do i want to talk about patriot mobile i want to thank everybody at patriot mobile an amazing company they share our values they are the only conservative conservative christian cell phone provider in the u.s they use all the major towers you're gonna to have great service in your cell phone service, but also great customer service. Give them a call, dial 972-PATRIOT. Mention the bottom line, and you'll get a discount. If you're a veteran, they're going to really take care of you. Uh, we like to, in today's day and age, vote with our dollar. Put our money towards entities and places that we believe have the same value systems that we do, and that is Patriot Mobile. Glenn and his team there do an amazing job. So give them a ring, 972-PATRIOT. Mention the bottom line so you can get free activation. Jacques, big words, food security, food shortage. And then all of a sudden it becomes really real to people this week when moms can't get baby formula. No, Eden Green doesn't grow baby formula, but it may grow plants that go into baby formula. Where are we just as a, as a world with food? I'll take it one step back. Where does it come from? Originally, and if you go to a lot of these African countries, you'll see that each family has a plot of land. So what do they do? They go and cultivate their own food, and they sustain themselves because of that. Now, they cannot control external environmental conditions like droughts and all of those kind of things, and that creates problems. Yeah. Um, but what do we do in a modern world? We either think we cannot, so we pay people to do it for us. And those people are farmers or big corporations making food. And we sit back, we earn money somewhere else, we take our money, we go buy the food because they can do it better than us. And the dynamics of that actually changed. It's not necessarily that you get the most food. It's who makes the most profit and supplies those food, that food to you. Mm -hmm. But we still go about our food. We concentrate it in, a, in a, a big retailer and we go look for what we want and we buy it that way. The solution to any food security problem is knowledge. The only reason why you'd want somebody else to grow your food is because you don't have the knowledge to do so. Or so, people would say the time or, or whatever, yeah. Or yeah. time. Technology takes care of a lot of that. Yeah. And that's specifically, I'm talking about hydroponic systems now. So uh, tackling the, system, the food security issue that, that we have and I think the world will have a lot, a lot more of in future is to, is to go back to the basics and go educate yourself in either growing your own food or getting hydroponic systems and getting the knowledge to do that yourself. 
The reason for that is if a lot of people do that, you eliminate the demand for what is available. So if you can do that and you have the ability to do it, go grow your own food. Yeah. Get yourself to a knowledge level to do that. That will eliminate a lot of pressure. Or, 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 or get into a system, you know, um, that allows, that, that, that does some of the heavy lifting for you. Because maybe, you know, it was always fascinating to me how fast you trained a worker Dan, you guys train a worker to harvest in the greenhouse. They didn't necessarily have to know everything about the system. They had to know their job, right? And just like uh, manufacturing auto parts, you know, putting a car together. People work on one little nut and bolt, and that's what they do. But but holistically, it solves a problem. It transports people. Holistically, this solves a problem. It grows food where you need it efficiently, effectively, super high content, as clean it can be um it can be you know organic if if you want it to be organic gmo free of course so well, it, so it's a big problem solver one thing people. that COVID taught us and, and everything that happened around COVID is not necessarily the availability food is grown and can be grown to large quantities but getting the food to where it's actually it's needed the availability yeah. And especially in COVID highlighted that. So yeah. food security for countries is different to food security for me and you. You know, if you're an import country that import 97% of your food, like some of them do, and suddenly there's no ships going or the harbors are... are a particular, con- a particular country we visited, they do import north of 80% of their food. Because, exactly. There's yeah. actually many of those countries, yeah. Yemen, Lebanon, all of those countries as well. They import a lot of food because the environment is such that they can't grow it themselves. So if you can bring that in, that's how you generate food security um, on a large scale. And, and I would say that uh, governments should get more involved in this. Absolutely. I, I think food security is moving to, I think at the next, all the G summits, the, you know, all the, all the top summits around the world, the United Nations, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a conversation at every family's level now in the U.S., but it's not just the U.S. You're looking at areas around the world that used to be bread baskets of the world. Um, Zimbabwe, you know, what used to be a bread basket, and then all of a sudden they become completely dependent, unstable, unstable. Similar to Ukraine. Ukraine the is 12, Ukraine. 12, 12% of the grain in the world from Ukraine. That's not going to happen this year. Yeah, so it, it creates instability globally. So food security I, it baffles me that it's not always at the top of a country's. If you uh, take um, into account how much priorities. money is spent on destructive stuff, yeah, you know, why don't you spend that kind of money on constructive stuff in countries that will give stability? Yeah, because a lot of the instability is a lack of food. The, the show will be seen all across the country and and in and in the world as well. And for for the people watching, you know, whether it's a small government like a city, or whether it is a retailer. You know, a retail, a small mom and pop retailer or a large retailer like a Walmart or a, you know, so many of those Kroger's, whatever. I, I want them to reach out to Eden Green and get in touch with Eddie and the team at Eden Green and come visit. Go visit Eden Green. Take a trip to Dallas, fly into DFW, take a little drive and go see something truly spectacular. Um, think about your city's future. Uh, food security for your people. Um, what is something else, Jacques, that you want you want to highlight? Um, because I'm absolutely convinced. Not just because I'm involved. I'm just convinced because we've seen a lot. I mean, we've I've learned so much of agriculture through this Eden Green experience, through your eyes, and through working with retailers, and then the current management team and the funders, amazing folks who see it all around the world. I firmly believe that this company is part of God's answer Solutions. to a big problem in our country. Yeah, we cannot deny that the earth is going through a cycle. You know, there's a lot happening. We used to get two, three harvests off open land farming. You don't get that anymore. Um, it, it's, it is difficult to be a farmer. I take my hat off for any farmer, open land farmer, whether it's livestock or, or doing it the conventional way to actually do what they do. It's very know? challenging. Yeah, if, if, if I can control everything, in the system that we've designed, um, I can just imagine how difficult it must be not being able to do that. Uh, well, well, a, a conventional farmer in the crops that Eden Green grows, they can control very little. 
the, the, the nutrient runoff, how the soil performs, wind, the external and uh, external of the pressure. sun, the pressure, you know, diseases, pests. They don't control any of that. Correct. It's a prayer. I mean, that's why farmers pray. You know, it, it, and the depletion of soil. There's just absolutely a lot less land available for those products. Yeah, no question. And 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 it has a global result. And we're a big country. One thing I learned through this, and I've been in 48 of the 50 states. This is a big country. Feeding and, and how our food systems are set up in this country, food travels a long way internationally. Our berries come from Mexico, a lot of them. I mean, they got to cross boundaries, mangoes from Mexico. I mean, by the time we eat it, that plate of food traveled. And that's a part of the problem. Yeah, and it's sent across the globe. You know, the yeah. countries that has the financial ability will buy the food, Correct. unfortunately. So I would say your mid-level countries are going to suffer because yeah. they can produce the food, but they're not going to necessarily get the food. And I saw the last week that some of the countries are now uh, politically keeping yeah. their food in their countries. No exports. They won't export anymore. Yeah, because what yeah. they're going to do. And the Saudis are flying in 747 airplanes full of food out of the U.S. because they can afford it. But Correct. countries that can't, uh, it's a problem. And look, we've got a lot of food deserts in the United States. We've got a food desert in Dallas. This is not, you know, people think uh, hunger is only in Africa. No, there's, there's a lot of hunger. There's, through COVID, what we learned a lot of as child exploitation went up and suicide went up and all these things, another big talking point that people didn't touch on is many, many American children only eat one meal a day and they got it at school. And when schools were shut down, they didn't eat. It's a problem. And some of it is accessibility, affordability where they live. So no hats off to anybody that's ever touched anything, even for a day in their life with Eden Green. This company's unbelievable. The current management team is doing a phenomenal job. Um, the funders, um, it's a real solution. Check it out. We're going to throw the, the website to Eden Green on the screen. There's a lot of technical things we couldn't get into because we have to protect the, the intellectual property as well. But that's the website, folks. Um, you're looking at it on screen right now. It is absolutely stunning. stunning. Eden Green Technology, uh, Jacques Van Buren. We could go for 10 hours straight and learn from you as you keep inventing. Keep inventing. Uh, keep solving problems. I'll never forget Steve Jobs one day. They asked him, um, you're in the music business. And he goes, nope. We're just in the problem-solving business. That's and they came exactly. out with the iPod and then the iPad. We're just solving problems for people. And when you solve problems for people, you're relevant. And this is very relevant. So um, you're always welcome back. Look at that. I mean, it's just stunning. On the website, there's a 3D tour you can do. And there's a, uh, what we call Spill the Greens. People can go and visit that. They'll learn a lot about hydroponics. A lot of that's Aaron, for children, right? Yeah, Aaron's doing a great Aaron job. Aaron is doing a yeah. great job in teaching children. And I think we need to do more of that. You know, you and I did this. I don't even have to ask you. We were not in the same elementary school, but you took field trips. Oh, yeah. Field trips to the farm, field trips to milk cows. It wasn't like the girls that was always, they were that's always mortified. connecting yourself Better milk to the, the cows. Yeah, connecting If, if you ever food. want your child to eat salads, let him grow his own salads. Yeah. That's the way they will eat it. I take my 12-year-old. She looks me straight in the eyes and says, Dad, did you grow it? And if I say yes, she said, okay, then I'll eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's both good and bad. Because if you're on vacation, I hope she still eats. Because you probably didn't grow, grow what was on vacation. But that's what happens when you're an inventor and your kids really support your work. But listen, guys, please. And there are so many other systems. And... and we're just talking here about Eden Green and that it truly, it checks the boxes, as we say. It is it, because it comes from the right heart. It's got amazing people and motive behind it. The motive is to eradicate. And we can hunger. solve problems on all levels. Yeah. Being yeah. food to the masses, being cities, like you said, which is definitely going to become a need, and government. Yeah. And I think right now it's a focus. It needs to stay a focus because it's not, this problem does not solve itself. Uh, we have real, real issues in food security. And uh, thank God for inventions like this, like Eden Green uh, and others uh, in, in other areas in beef. There's some amazing advancement in beef and crop and, and um, 
cattle management and land management. I had a conversation with a guy two days ago, another South African, who's also now come to the U.S. because he's apparently one of the top experts in the world on grass and studying grasses. And he discovered new grass in the highlands of Scotland that they're now bringing into the U.S. because they're looking at it as a better feed for cattle. You know, and so we have to make those advancements uh, in food. And the social um, social aspect to it. I mean, we're creating permanent jobs. It's not migrating jobs anymore. Yes. It's jobs that you can be in 12 months over here. You can get a stable family. The dad's not away or the mom's not away from the house. All of those kind of things. So there's a lot more involved than just growing actual food. And people are really happy. When they walk in that greenhouse, they're happy there. I mean, you breathe oxygen in that place. I mean, we said one day it's probably the most oxygen rich environment most food per cubic feet i think that on earth that's out there yeah on earth yeah most food per cubic feet and you you smell it you feel it i loved late at night when first when it was full we had a big event one day and i just walked that night and i was just walking the aisles just praying it, i felt like i was walking the garden of eden i'm telling you it was amazing jacques van buren um eden green everybody at eden green thank you so much thanks jacques thank you thanks for inviting us see you guys next time